Good morning. Good to see all of you again. It's been a long couple seconds without you. Like, I totally am a different person. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm thankful again that you're here again. If this is your first time, you never checked out Center before, uh, not only for selfish reasons, but fill out that card. <laughs> like, you could obviously get a giveaway. But we'd also love to connect with you and answer questions. Sometimes, like going to a new place, there's questions, there's stuff like, can I ask about this? Like, how do you do this? How do you do that? Um, and so that's the best way. We're not going to harass you or like sell your information to a weird credit card company. Uh, we just want to help you and, and offer any kind of wisdom or answers we have. It's funny because some of you, if you came in real early, you already met my wife, Lindsay, and our daughter, Lennon. And uh, we are new parents, so give us grace. But what is really funny is that some of the kind of arguments and debates you have when you have a kid remind you of older arguments and debates you had as a kid, like as, as you're raising a kid, as you did when we were first married. Like one of the first arguments I can remember was Lindsay and I were at a family wedding and we were going back and forth, do the boyfriend or girlfriend get to be in the family photos or not? Have you had this debate, anybody? Like, it's like, do they, do they deserve that place? Do they really belong to the family or do they need to like sign some papers and get some rings on it before you actually get to be in the family photo, right? Some of you have been through this. So uh, quick show of hands, how many of you are kind of on the gray side? Like, yeah, whoever wants to be in the family photo gets to be in it. Like boyfriend, girlfriend, anybody? Wow, none of you are bold enough. Wow, you guys are all mean. Man, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you're on my side, my side is a, they got to be legit before they're in. So anyone else feel me? Okay, so most of us. So it's funny because we went back and forth. We we're at this family wedding and there's some tension. It was like, well, Matt, you don't get to be in the picture. And he was like, what? Like I've been dating this girl for like 15 years or whatever it was. It was like a super long time. And so he didn't end up being in the picture, but we got a picture with him later. So it was like a consolation prize. But some of you have been through that, like belonging to a family, family pictures, you kind of prove who really belongs, who doesn't. This is so true that I realize I'm not the only person who's gone through this kind of internal argument or debate before. Like families have been having this debate for a really long time. In fact, I actually found some stories of people uh, who've had to work through this. So the very first story is a guy who was recently divorced from his ex-wife, but they had just taken Christmas pictures. So check out, this guy actually learned Photoshop. And look at this picture. Like, look at the before and after. Notice anything? Like, the wife is totally absent. That's incredible to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm mean. That is skill on that guy's part. I, can't, I don't know if I should be offended or, or just amazed at the fact that I couldn't even tell. Like, there, there was someone in that second photo. It's pretty amazing. The other one is actually at a family wedding. So there's this story. Uh, the sister of the bride had brought her boyfriend of a long time he was like pretty much in. He pretty much belonged to their family. Well, weeks later, they end up breaking up. Shocker. So look, instead of learning Photoshop, well, she kind of did, but she did something very different. And I've got a ton of respect for this next picture. Notice anything weird? <laughs> like literally, instead of Photoshopping him out, they just put a cat over his body. So that is like worse. That's more offensive to me. Like you take me out of the picture, but put a cat in my place. Like we're not, we're not speaking anymore. It's funny because like I, I think about those pictures, even that conversation we had like so early on in our marriage, like belonging really matters. Like whether or not you belong to a family, it's a big deal because even in life, like belonging matters, but when you don't feel like you belong, nothing else matters. There's really nothing else in life. If you, if you feel out of place or like, I don't fit in at work or I don't fit in, in even in my own family or I don't fit in in the sports team I'm in or, or on, I, like nothing else seems to matter because we'll do all sorts of things to try to fit in and to belong. 
We will, uh, we will drink things we never said we drink to belong. We will post things we never said we post to belong. We will make decisions, whether it's in business or in our marriages, we never said we would do just to feel like we belong or we're included or, or we're together on something. Can I ask you the question that a lot of us don't like asking? Here's a question I wrestle with. What if you today, no matter where you're finding yourself, what if you deep down don't feel like you belong? What do you do with that? How do you move past that? Like, what's the resolution to that? Because you may look on the outside like a perfect kind of condition of a human being. Like you may have all the boxes checked and everyone would look at your life and say that you're doing really well. But what if you deep down, there was something gnawing at the inside of you every morning when you wake up feeling like, I just don't fit. I don't feel like I belong and I want to take you in a way to answer that question. I won't fully answer it. I may just give you better questions today. But, but to fully answer this question, I want to take us to the gospel. I want to take us to scripture because uh, one of the most obscure stories in the Bible is found in Acts 16. So if you have your Bible, Acts is really a collection of stories of, of Jesus followers. who Jesus left his mission to, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach, and to, to bring his kingdom to this earth. He gave it to ordinary people like you and me. And Acts is really the stories of all of these things taking place and, and what happened as a result. As you can imagine, in a first century context where the Romans were the leading officials and military power, they believed firmly and staked basically the entire empire on the fact that Caesar, the ruler, was Lord. Which means that if you came up against Caesar and said, actually, Caesar's not Lord, this rabbi from Nazareth that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, who was crucified but actually rose again, he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So these disciples based on the fact that they had given their entire lives, they sacrificed everything to believe that Jesus was Lord, they find themselves at odds a lot of times throughout the book of Acts, the Roman guards and officials, with the Roman leaders because they do not want this mission. They do not, do not want that kind of news spreading. And so in verse 22 of chapter 16, you find Paul and Silas, these two disciples, getting attacked and then flogged and then thrown into prison. Here's what verse 23 says. After they had been severely flogged, literally whipped, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Why do we highlight that? Because today I don't want to look at Paul and Silas, which are kind of the obvious. We love looking at the good guys of scripture. I want to look at what happens to this jailer. I want to look at what happens to this jailer because the, the, in the Roman context, like to be a jailer any of you like approaching or kind of in retirement right now? I'm seeing a few of you like, okay, uh, not because you have white hair, because you're wise. That's why. I, saw, I spotted you because you're wise. Um, but if you're in that sector of life, you know, like when you go into retirement or you go to kind of take a step away from like a full-time career into something else, you want something that's not super stressful. Am I right? Like if you retire, it's not like, how do I add stress and add responsibility to my life? Like you're not asking those questions. For a jailer, Typically, a jailer was someone who had been a part of the Roman military or led campaigns around the empire. They had put in the time. They put in the work. And a jailer was a job where all you had to do was watch prisoners who were shackled, locked up. You had to feed them occasionally, and you got to beat them up when they mouth off to you. Like, I'm a Christian, but that still sounds kind of interesting to me. <laughs> like, sometimes I'm like, that's interesting take on retirement. Um, but it's funny because 
really, you only, there's only one thing you couldn't do as a jailer. Any ideas? Like, sh- shout them out if you have them. Like, no ideas? Like, they can't escape, right? The one thing that you cannot let happen if you are a Roman jailer is for prisoners to escape. Because what that meant was multiple things. But number one, it meant not only is your career over, your life is over. Because to, to let a prisoner escape, to fail your duties to the empire meant that you were not worth living anymore. Often these jailers would either kill themselves or a Roman official above them would execute them, sometimes in the, on the spot. And so this jailer's like, retirement is set. This is going to be a great job. I just can't let anyone escape. Uh, it's really interesting then, because you read in verse 25, if you have your Bibles, you see this, that about midnight, these disciples, Paul and Silas, were praying, and they were singing hymns to God, just like we were doing. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chain came loose. You want to see, like, when it hits the fan for a jailer? You just saw it. Like, <laughs> that happened right there. Like, the story we just read just happened. He, he is lost the one thing he's supposed to do. So naturally, the jailer wakes up, right? Verse 27, the jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he thought some, some four-letter words. He drew his word, his sword, and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, that story is fascinating. I mean, picture you're another prisoner watching this take place. Like these guys are singing hymns about Jesus and you're confused and then boom, your doors open, your shackles are off and everyone is free and there's one jailer sitting at the end of the hall. Like what, what if you're the jailer in this moment? You're like, I am dead because of all these people now. Like I don't have to worry about it. So he literally takes out his sword to, uh, to kill himself. It's fascinating because in this moment, I would be willing to bet a lot of money that the jailer never felt more alone and in despair and in darkness than this moment in his life. Because the end is literally right in front of him. He can see the writing on the wall. Like he knows his future is not going to turn out super great. But what he asks in verse 30 is, I think, the most powerful question maybe any of us can ask in our life. So he, he runs to the end of himself. He calls for these lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, these prisoners that he was supposed to oversee and he had tortured. And he asks a question. He brings them out of their cell and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do? How do I get out of the situation I'm in? How do I get into the family or the community that you're in? Because clearly there's something supernatural. There's something bigger than Rome. There's something bigger than my retirement plan at play here. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That, that question is followed by an incredibly powerful response. Paul's basically saying, after that, he says, believe in Lord Jesus. If you want to be saved, you have to believe. You've got to repent and turn your life towards the direction of Jesus. Make him the center but they go to his house, they, they have this meal together. The jailer's family gets baptized. It's a radical conversion story. It's a powerful story. Even I can't go through all the details, but to go back and read for yourself. But here's what I think strikes me. See, for Paul, and even for Silas, people who had previously been, their full-time vocation 
was to persecute and kill Christians. You can read this in the book of Acts, right? You see multiple scenes where there are Roman officials overseeing the death of Christians, people who are followers of the way of Jesus. And Paul was one of them. If there's anyone who would be excluded from the family of God, anyone who should be excluded from the family of Jesus, wouldn't it be Paul? Like that would be the obvious answer. You and I are reading the gospels and be like, yeah, but he shouldn't be in. Like, okay, if you don't believe, but not to kill people who believe, like that's too far. But the gospel is that there was room for Paul. There was room for Paul in the family of Jesus. There was room for this jailer in the family of Jesus. Can I just give you a truth? I hope this encourages you. Today, no matter what you bring into this moment, no matter who you are, what you've done, what you've bought, what you've looked at online, what you've drank last night, whatever, there is room for you in the family of Jesus. There's room. That, that's my story. There's room for me. And there's certainly room for you. It's why, um, as we talk over these next couple of weeks about this vision that we have to see zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ, that there's a couple dreams we have attached to that. One of those dreams is to see zero unconnected in community. To, to know that every person who calls center home or is attached to what we're doing as a church would have lasting community, real relationships and friendships built around the risen Jesus. Because at the end of the day, we can find community and family in a lot of places, right? Like there's a lot of places, maybe it's your favorite restaurant or bar, maybe it's a sports team, maybe it's an online forum, whatever it is, you can find community if you really want to. But at the end of the day, if that community is not built around the risen Jesus, it will fall apart and it cannot deliver on what it says it will deliver. It will fail. And so I love uh, Pastor Mark Dever, who's a pastor over on the East Coast, he wrote a book about this, but he says this, that scripture, the, the gospel teaches that community that matters is community built by God. We may cultivate it, feed it, protect it, use it, but we dare not pretend to create it. See, that's what it means to be in the family of Jesus, orienting your life and your relationships and your connections around him. Can I ask kind of an obvious question here? If you're a Jesus follower in the room, you're, you're tracking with this, you're following in his ways and his teachings, what keeps us from that real community? What keeps us from that real family experience? Because here's what, I've been around church a long time. There's seasons where I've experienced this and seasons where I have not. So what keeps us from this? Like, I, that's a question I ask. Can I give you an answer that you probably have not thought of? I don't know you all super well, but there's probably an answer to this that for me, I didn't think of, and it was not on my radar, and maybe it's not on yours. It may be something you think you know the answer to, but you don't. What keeps Christians from real, lasting community? It's actually our dream of community. It's our perception of what real family and real community is going to look like. Because newsflash, like none of us are perfect. When you get into a group or you get into a relationship or you're trying to disciple someone or be discipled by someone or, or mentor someone younger or someone or having a relationship with someone who's older and a couple steps ahead of you in life, what you quickly find out is people are imperfect. And they don't have all the answers. They say, I don't know, a lot more times than you'd prefer. They have sin. They have brokenness. They have patterns in their life they're trying to get free from. But it's our dream of what Christian community will look like. See, here's what I, I grew up saying things like this. I love my church. Or I love my youth group. What I meant by that was I love that everyone thinks and votes and smells and eats and, and processes decisions and worships God like I do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love my church. But what I mean was, that's because everyone's like me. 
I love that. It's great. I don't feel stretched. I don't have to be vulnerable. I don't have to be honest. I don't have to let God expand my worldview or stretch my thinking or, or have to even wrestle with what does it look like when there's injustice in other people around me. Like, I don't have to look at any of that because everyone's just like me. But when we say, I love my church, here's God's dream for us. God's dream is that when we say, I love my church, we mean, how did all these people end up in the same room together? <laughs> how, did, how did the person that thinks like that get in here? Like, you don't all look the same. You don't all vote the same. You don't all think about God the same. You didn't grow up the same. You don't make the same amount of money. You don't mow your lawn the same. You don't live in the same neighborhood or go to the same school. Like, how did all these people get together? Because at the end of the day, we don't gather around similarities or preferences. We gather around the name of the risen Jesus. And so that, that's where it all sticks. That's why you and I can vote different and still love one another. That's why you and I can spend money differently and still want love one another. That's why you and me can be at different places in our parenting journeys and still get one another and still love one another. That's why you and I can have different sin struggles, different opinions on current events and still love one another. And Jesus believed that was possible. I don't think our world really believes that's possible. And I would love for the church to prove our world wrong. I would love for the church to be a different example of what people who disagree and still love one another could really look like. See, here's the thing too. I, I know there's probably someone in this room, someone watching online who maybe doesn't have that relationship with Jesus yet. Who doesn't have Christ at the very center of their life like we were singing about. And, and number one, I'm glad you're here. You, you picked a great day. You are welcome. You don't have to have it all figured out. But the second thing is what keeps you and what kept me before surrendering my life to Jesus from real community and real family was my own sin. I thought I was fine. I thought I was perfect. I, wasn't, I didn't need a savior because I didn't think I did anything that bad. But God is saying anything that's kind of counter to his standard for, for living and thinking and behavior in this world, which all of us have broken along some line, that, that we need a savior. We need someone to rescue us from ourselves a lot of the time. We need a higher, we need someone at work who's much greater and stronger than just our own ability to figure out life. The jailer recognizes this. He's like, what? Clearly I have sinned. Like I've tortured, I've persecuted people. I failed my career. Like I've screwed up my life as a jailer and I'm about to die. What do I have to do to get saved? And at first it's just about how do I get out of this mess? Like Paul and Silas, you've clearly figured out how to open prison doors without me. Like, can you help me figure this out? But then it translates into them having an encounter with the risen Jesus and getting baptized and their life turned. And he's not the only Roman. He is the only Roman military leader in the book of Acts who has these radical encounters. But I can't give you attention that you may feel. Here's what I felt last year. I felt last year as I'm sitting in my guest room working from home, having a Zoom call, having Zoom call after Zoom call because everyone was at home and everything was shut down, I started to believe the lie, the myth that I can be a Christian and not be in community. Did you feel this? Like if you follow Jesus, did you feel some of that? Like I, I don't need family. I don't need to be honest. I don't have to be vulnerable from a screen. I can say and, and look however I want. And I got tricked into thinking that. And it was literally through gathering together as a church that I was like, you're right. I need family. I don't have any, I don't have any of my, my extended family even in the area. Like people beyond my siblings, I don't have my parents nearby. I don't have people to watch my kids. And I was like, man, 
I need family. I need the family of Jesus in a desperate way. And I'm not talking about forced family. Maybe you've been a part of like something at school or a small group in the past. Like you sign up and it's like you're doing homework and it just doesn't feel like that. I mean family that you sign up for, family you really engage. And you may say, I made it through COVID just by myself. I don't need anybody else. I don't need family. I don't need a church. I don't need community or to be in a small group, which is true, by the way. You don't until something hard happens. Then you need people. Then you need family. Then you need people who are selfless and sacrificial, who will pray for you, who will come alongside of you and encourage you and inspire you to keep following in the way. I felt this really acutely uh, back in April. April, I was wrapping up a morning of meetings, and April was a really unique month for us in our family because we were a couple of weeks away from the birth of our first child, which just racks your life with a just a little stress, just little, little bitty stress. But that little stress had grown into some big stress. I'm currently in my in graduate school, so I was working on a class for that, trying to wrap up the semester. I was in two courses. We were weeks away from opening this space. Uh, one of our leaders in our church had passed away, and I was grieving that. I was trying to process all of this with that in my mind. And it just felt like the more and more I went through this morning, the more and more, it literally felt like my head was kind of closing in on itself. Like I had tunnel vision, if you will. Like I was just, I was confused. I was anxious about the future. I was worried. I was just not sure. Like I'd never experienced that before and I didn't know what was going on. I got really nervous. It's like, I don't know. Am I okay? Am I going to make it out of this? Normally I would just like kind of power through. That's my mentality. I don't know if you're that way. It's like something's hard. I'm just going to ram through it. I'm going to drive. I'm going to push through. I'm going to make it. I'm sitting at lunch at Qdoba because that's where God moves, okay? If you want God to move in your life. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually do have a preference for Chipotle, which is messing with some of you right now because you're like, wait, what? He just said he was at Qdoba. But I will say I'm an equal opportunity burrito employer, okay? Like I am willing to eat burritos wherever they'll find me. Thank you guys. You appreciate that. (laughs) They love that. I'm preaching to this row from now on. But but I don't discriminate when it comes to burritos. That's no joke. And so, but around noon, I get quite hangry. Like I I get mean. If you've ever been around me at like 11.55, I'm not a fun person to be around because I need my sustenance. I need my food. And so I had a lunch meeting that day with somebody else. And I said, I I cannot, I can't go to this meeting. I can't even think clearly. And I said, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to go to lunch by myself. So I go down to Skidom. I'm sitting there. And again, it feels like I've just got tunnel vision. It's getting dark. I'm not sure what's going on mentally or physically. I'm nervous. My hands are sweaty. Just thinking about all these things in my life swirling around. It's like this perfect storm of, of stress and anxiety. And for me... Not the first thing I thought. It was probably the second or third down the list. I thought, I need family right now. I need family. I need people in my life who can walk with me and process this with me and help me to be honest. Because in that moment, I'm sitting in this Qdoba all by myself, and I was scared. I didn't know, how, how am I going to even get out of this? What's, what's life on the other side of this moment look like? What's the day look like with all of its things and all of its pressures? And immediately I texted two of my closest friends. One of them uh, I've walked with in life for a long time. One of them is a little bit newer to my life. But I said, they're, they're friends. Their name is Mark and Jason. I texted both those guys. said, hey, I don't really know what's going on. Not really sure what's going on. But I need you to pray for me. 
I'm overwhelmed. I'm not sure what, what's happening. And would you just pray for me? I don't even know what to ask for. Would you just pray for me? Within seconds, because these are great people, they texted me back. You know, like you can get those voice notes through iMessage or whatever, like kind of send an audio note. I'm obsessed with those now. I do that to Lindsay just to annoy her. Um, <laughs> Because you can't really save them. You don't remember what they said. The message is disappearing. It's weird. Anyway, they send that. And it was something about hearing another person, another disciple's prayer over me that just broke that. And realized I, I wasn't alone. I'm not the first person to go through this. I won't be the last. And there's a way out on the other side of it. I needed family in that moment. Friends, if you're a parent, when you're exhausted and your kids are unparentable right now, can I just say... There's room for you in the family of Jesus. There's room. When you feel like, maybe like I did, like that mental darkness clouds in, and you can't really see beyond Monday. There's room for you. When you feel like your sexuality is broken into a thousand tiny pieces right now, can I just say there's room for you in the family of Jesus? When your spouse or business partner of 10 years betrays you, can I just say there's room for you? in the family of Jesus? The next question that's logical to ask is how, if that's true, how do I get into the family again? It's not like you have to get in for the first time. You were created by God. He loves you. He's passionately pursuing you. You have his image literally imprinted on your soul. So it's really the question of how do I get back into the family? All of us can walk away from family. Maybe your parents walked away from you. All of us can walk away from family. But it's a decision we can make to get back into the family. Can I give you the obvious answer you already know from the story of the jailer? It's simply to surrender to the power of Jesus. It's to say, Jesus, I'm no longer going to be king, ruler, lord over my, my, my own life. I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to submit myself to that power. So the invitation today, no matter where you're at, whether you're able to join the party after the service, you've got stuff to do. The invitation's really, really simple. Can I just ask you to join the family again? Just join the family again. The door is wide open. Now, here's what's true. If, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you haven't made Jesus the center of your life, today could be that day for you. It could be the moment where you say, you know what, I remember September 12, 2021, I was sitting in a room. Maybe it was unfamiliar to me, but God moved, God spoke, God, God stirred something in me, and I surrendered to him, maybe for the first time. But if you have done that, you've made that decision, you're trying your best to follow Jesus and to live in his way, to think like him, to act like him, to ask, what would he do if he were me in situations throughout your week? Here's what I want to say. The invitation is similar to you. It's to join the family again. You may have gotten trapped in that thinking like I did. I don't need community. I don't need other people. And the way you do that, at least here at Center, is to get into some kind of group. I don't care if the group meets at 8 o'clock on Tuesdays every other week and studies a specific passage. But there are multiple groups meeting, even starting these next couple weeks. More will be added that you can simply go. Like Maybe you put this link in your phone. You hit go later. You search it later. But centergr.com slash discipleship is the way you do that. It's just to go through, and there's multiple groups starting. Lindsay and I are starting one in the next couple weeks. So we're just gathering together and saying, we need other people. We're not going to try to give, you, give out biblical homework every week, but we're going to study, we're going to engage the scriptures, we're going to pray for one another, and we're going to make friends. Anyone know how hard it is to make friends who are following Jesus? It's awkwardly hard. 
And so we're just going to do that. We're going to create some environments and spaces where we can make some friends and to journey through life together. Just join the family again. Join the family. There's room for you. There's always been room for you. What I want to do is pray, and then we're going to celebrate and worship and party. Um, so I invite you just to close your eyes as we do that. I don't know, again, where you're at. I don't, I don't know if you're like me 10 years ago, far from God, needing to surrender, needing to make him the center of your life and to turn away from your sin and your broken patterns and to say, God, I need a savior. I, I, what must I do to be saved? You're asking that question the jailer asked. Can I just invite you, the, the beauty of the gospel is the only thing you have to do is say yes to it. It's to step into it and say, you know what? I need that. I, I cannot be my own king. I cannot be my own Lord. And maybe there's someone, maybe you're sitting here today and you just know that's your step. That's what you need to do. And I'm not going to make you dance or come up front or like yell or anything, but I would love to pray specifically for you if you would just slip your hand up real quick. And you can do that right now. You can do that right now and just say, you know what? I need to make Jesus the center of my life. I've walked away. I've strayed. I need to, to get back into that rhythm. Maybe today too, you just know, I, I need to, to get in community and get into family and, and you're scared because community is hard. Community means you're vulnerable and people can, can hurt you. But Jesus is inviting you to take the step to be courageous and bold. And so I'm gonna pray specifically over you that God would give you courage and boldness. And so that's our prayer, Lord. We pray uh, more than anything. You'd make us aware of your presence more than anything. We would be aware that you are here and that your deepest desire is to transform us, to literally change our lives. And so we just submit to that, Jesus. We submit to you and your spirit's work. We, we ask, God, that if we're beginning that relationship, you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit's peace and love and joy that comes from, from initiating and taking a step towards you. And maybe for us, it is the courage and boldness and bravery we need to say, you know what? I, I cannot do life alone. I need family. And to step into some kind of community, whether it's a group or a relationship or, or a connection. But God, we need you in all this. We, it's our prayer that you would make us the kind of people who are passionate about the things you are. And that certainly is community. So we lean into that today. We love you and pray it in your name. Amen.